The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. And we welcome you back to our program today, Afternoons with Mike, heard daily on the Shepherd Radio Network. So excited about our program today. Uh, You would all know that I have a heart for pro-life issues, and uh, I'm privileged to work with the great people at Choices Women's Clinics here in Orlando and in the past with Sarah up in Gainesville. It's just something that I believe in. And today on the line, I have someone that is a a spokesperson for a number of different angles in the pro-life fight, if you will. Dr. Ingrid Skop, she's a medical doctor. She's also the vice president and Director of Medical Affairs for the Charlotte Closure Institute, and she works out of Texas. She was recently on the stage at the NRB, and it's an honor to have Dr. Scop here today. Welcome to our program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you're really fighting this fight that pro-life is kind of catching up with details on. I've talked to a lot of people who have followed pro-life issues for many, many years, and many of them are not yet aware of just, first of all, how this whole thing about an abortion pill works. And then secondly, I think most everybody would be shocked at how prevalent now, this pill is in the whole landscape of abortions. I hear that more people are, are now going through that form of an abortion than the traditional in a abortion clinic type of a, a way. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's not really your listeners' fault if they don't understand because Google's not pro-life. Um, it's very hard to find information. Um, this topic is cloaked in euphemisms. Um, and so the American people are being gaslighted. They are being shielded from the reality. Um, but to start at the beginning, um, chemical abortion is not the same thing as emergency contraception. Sometimes that's confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, emergency contraception is an action taken after the act of unprotected intercourse to try to prevent pregnancy. Uh, Plan B is the most commonly used form, and what it does is it hopes to delay ovulation so that there's no egg to be fertilized. Chemical abortion is different. Chemical abortion is performed when a pregnancy is known to exist. It has the intent of ending that unborn human life. It's it's, um, comprised of two medications. Um, Mifepristone blocks progesterone, so it blocks the hormonal support for the baby and kills him. And it's followed about 24 hours later by mesoprostol that essentially induces labor to express the pregnancy tissue. It's approved by the FDA um, until 10 weeks gestation, so it's an early pregnancy abortion. Um, But I'm sure we'll discuss the FDA has really negligently removed many of the safeguards. Um, the experience for women is very poor. They will bleed at least two months or two weeks, sometimes longer than a month. Forty percent will describe the pain as severe. And unfortunately, many of these women, including very young women, because there is no lower age limit, will see their child's body in the toilet. Mm-hmm. So that is the reality of chemical abortion. 
Um, and it's a very traumatic one for women. And uh, again, it's approved by the FDA, which it just doesn't make any sense to me how something that is so known to be fraught with so many different complications, and in, I think included in that would be just death. It's not only death of the baby, it can kill the, the woman as well because of the fact that it's not always expelling all of the, the material that's in the womb. It can, it can become infected. Isn't that right? It can be absolutely devastating. One thing that, yeah, one thing that people need to understand is that in the United States, we do not have any mandatory complication reporting. In fact, we don't even know how many abortions occur because even that's not mandated. So all of our data is guesswork. And um, the FDA points at abortion industry studies, and they'll say, "Oh, it hardly ever fails." And in fact. They tell women it's safer than Tylenol. Very dishonest because they're actually comparing it to the number of Americans who die of Tylenol overdoses, about 600 a year. Obviously, that's an entirely different uh, scenario than using a drug that's supposedly um, approved by the FDA. The FDA, um, unfortunately, in a very politicized process, they broke their own rules. So they um, approved it under a special category that's intended only for li- drugs that treat life-threatening illnesses um, in, in which there is no other treatment available. But at the time they approved it, there were over a million surgical abortions every year, so there was another alternative. Mm-hmm. They didn't do studies in pediatric population, which they're required by law to do. And since that time, they've loosened restrictions over and over again, um, causing it to become more and more dangerous. Unfortunately, in 2021, using the COVID pandemic as an excuse, they took away all in-person supervision. So there's no ultrasound to determine gestational age. And again, the further along a woman is in the pregnancy, the more likely she is to fail. Um, There's no ultrasound to determine if she has an ectopic pregnancy that could kill her if it ruptured. Um, They don't do labs, and they don't even require that a doctor look the woman in the eye to find out if she's the one who wants an abortion rather than perhaps a sex trafficker or an incestuous abuser. And these can be ordered over the Internet. They can be delivered in the mail without any medical supervision at all. Um, Going back to your question about what are the complications, hemorrhage is very common. Um, A very good quality study in Europe told us 15% of women have a clinically significant hemorrhage that's bleeding a lot. Um, Again, good quality studies tell us about 1 in 20 will fail to get all of that tissue out, and their body's going to continue to bleed. They're going to continue to cramp until someone does the surgery that is needed to remove that. Um, And I've cared for many of these women. Like most obstetricians, I don't perform elective abortion, and yet I've uh, needed to care for many women who presented to the emergency room or presented to my office because they could not get the care they needed from the abortion provider. As an OBGYN, this must just really drive you crazy to realize that our government is basically backing something, you know, that is so against life, and it is obviously aimed at killing that that unborn child, that preborn child. It's aimed at killing them, but it's almost like the medical community and the FDA and everyone else involved up and down the chain are, are taking a blind eye to the obvious after effects and the, these unknown scenarios like how far along is the woman or whether it's 
uh, th- that that uh, a topic pre- pregnancy or not. They just don't know those things because there's no medical care. And all of this, Dr. Scott, is in the name of women's health. That's what's so crazy about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and I think we've seen, if we're paying attention, the current administration is off the rails as far as abortion goes. They're trying to um, uh, enshrine it in law with no limitations at all throughout any throughout any time in pregnancy and for any reason. And in fact, they've actively resisted laws or proposed laws that would protect a child who is born alive after a failed abortion. So now they're even um, backing, backing infanticide. Um, the reality is, for so many ideologues, the goal and the and the primary endpoint is the death of the unborn child. Whether the woman experiences complications, that's just collateral damage in their goal that's to well end that child's life. Yeah, well said. Collateral damage. It is, I don't think it's wrong to say this. It is really clear that they don't care about the woman's health at all. Not really, because they're, it, it's almost like giving them a pill that is the equivalent of a Russian roulette type of a, an impact on the body. You just don't know when you take that pill. You don't know what kind of impact it's going to have on your body, right? Absolutely. They're, they're not giving these women adequate informed consent. They're not telling them that one out of 20 are going to fail and need a surgery. And it's not the same as if they chose a surgery in the first place. Because in many cases, they've been bleeding for a month or two months. They've had dead tissue in their uterus for a month or two months. There is a very rare but extraordinarily fatal infection associated with chemical abortion. Um, In fact, mifepristone has a black box warning placed by the FDA. Tylenol doesn't have a black box warning. The FDA only puts black box warning when they know that there is a possibility for a very, very serious event. And so we don't know how many women have died from this serious infection because, again, our data collection is inadequate. Um, We do know that 60% of the time when women present to an emergency room with a known complication from chemical abortion, it is miscoded as having been due to a miscarriage. So women are actually being told by abortion providers, if you should need to seek help, you do not need to tell the doctor that it was a chemical abortion. You can let them think it was a miscarriage. And of course, this is horrible care. Doctors need to know what they're dealing with in order to provide adequate treatment. That kind of intel could cost that woman her life. Or, or, or I should say the lack of that intel. And it, it's just uh, like there's no conscience at all in the medical community that is purporting all of this kind of treatment. Now, I know that from my little bit of knowledge about it, there are many women who do take that first pill. And you mentioned there's about a 24-hour period in between pill number one and pill number two. And after they take the first pill, uh, I I know a lot of women have an instant sense that they've made a mistake and they begin to, that's when a lot of them are contacting places like Choices, places like Sira, who are crisis pregnancy. And there, there is a, there is a kind of a, a, a reversal pill that's out there as well, but it's not, it doesn't work every time, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to discuss about that. And one is that so many women fall into 
abortion in crisis, they haven't thought it through. It's like a knee-jerk reflex, and particularly now that it can be ordered so easily online, there's no counseling to tell them what other options there are. Um, A very good quality study recently released showed that two-thirds of women had some degree of coercion or the, they described the abortion as inconsistent with their values. So these are women who would carry their babies if they knew that there was social and financial and material support. And like you say, these, preg- these crisis pregnancy centers provide all of that. There's 2,700 in our country. It's a beautiful thing, but so many times these women don't even know until after they've taken the mifepristone. Um, As I mentioned, mifepristone blocks progesterone. So the abortion pill reversal process that you're describing is very simple. We give high-dose progesterone to try to compete for the receptors so that the pregnancy can continue. It's Mm -hmm. the same, um, uh, really the same process that we see when we use Narcan for an opioid overdose. Exactly. So we know it's very safe. Um, It doesn't save every baby. It saves about two-thirds of the babies. But it gives the woman the ability to soothe her conscience by by knowing that she tried to save her baby. But, you know, in the politicization that we're seeing across our country, um, there are states – I'm in Colorado right now. Colorado has a law on the books that would make it illegal for a doctor to try to save that baby by giving progesterone. It's um, – and, of course, most uh, – many of the um, – very pro-abortion medical organizations have actively gone on uh, the record saying it's unethical to try to save that baby. Unbelievable. Now, I know that you are working with this organization that uh, right now there's there are law law cases that are out there, court cases that that are uh, addressing this problem with this abortion pill. And there's an amicus brief that's been filed. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, the the um, organization that I work for is called Charlotte Lecture Institute, which is essentially a think tank. Um, we look at statistics and science um, that address um, life issues. And it's good to know, and I, I wanted to tell your listeners, that science is on the side of the pro-life position. And so they can look at our website. They can find information. But from the get-go, we know we're dealing with a living genetically distinct human being. Um, The court case that you're referring to, um, an organization called the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine, which is a coalition of, as the name implies, medical doctors who want to practice Hippocratic medicine, who want to care for their patients and do not want to be asked to kill their patients. Um, They filed a lawsuit against the FDA. And really the purpose of the lawsuit is to make sure that the FDA does its job which is to protect the American public, in this case, women and girls, from dangerous drugs. Um, I mentioned earlier, they have not done their job. They have allowed themselves to be um, politicized um, Mm -hmm. due to ideology in uh, in this particular case. And, you know, I would would also remark that I think over the past three years, we've seen that they allowed themselves to be quite politicized regarding COVID as well. So when a governmental organization has let itself be corrupted that way, our checks and balances system requires us to hold them accountable. So that's what the lawsuit's about. Um, so far, what has happened is that a judge in an Amarillo court agreed with the data that we gave him that this drug should have never been approved. Um, he enjoined it nationwide, but of course, that didn't last very long. Um, it was appealed to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, where they also said 
the way it's been given now is very problematic. They wanted to put it back to its initial approval, which had much tighter safeguards in place. Um, it briefly went to the Supreme Court. Um, they didn't really take a stand. They sent it back to the Fifth uh, Circuit to go through trial. The trial has happened, and so currently we're just waiting to hear what the Fifth Circuit's response will be. I think as we all recognize how these things work, um, it will be appealed back to the Fifth or to the Supreme Court, and um, mm-hmm. I think the data is compelling. So I'm very optimistic that when they see all the data, they will realize that this is not an appropriate way to treat women, and they will rein in uh, the use of these dangerous drugs. Well, we know and we can tell by the reaction that's happened to last year's overturning of Roe that the other side, those that are progressively uh, pushing, and they've done a really good job of uh, getting a lot of people on board with them and their plan. Uh, the news media seems to be completely col- uh, complicit in this whole thing. And there, uh, there's just this big mountain to push, if you will, that is kind of leaning against us right now, those that would be pro-lifers. And so there's a lot of work that has to be done. I, I think part of it that is so hard for the average American to understand is you were talking about the, the Hippocratic Oath, the, the doctors who practice Hippocratic medicine. Uh, in my mind, in my thought, at least in my understanding, every doctor to become a doctor at one point in this country had to take that Hippocratic Oath. But it seems like right now that there's a big a number of people who are physicians who aren't worried about that at all right now. Would that be your opinion? You know, it's it's very complicated, but I think that it has been the case for years that medical schools have been selecting for students who are less likely to have that ethical, moral compass. Um, so, but a lot of doctors, honestly, they're busy. They don't really have time to think about this. And even though this is framed as an obstetric issue, the reality is that not 90% of obstetricians do not perform abortions. So when our when our pro-abortion um, uh, medical organization ACOG says this is necessary women's health care, they're not telling the truth. If it was necessary health care, every obstetrician would do it. But we know it's not necessary health care. Um, in the wake of Dobbs, um, there's been a lot of misinformation about the states that have put laws into place protecting unborn life. Um, they have tried to imply that doctors can't do their job, that they can't intervene if a woman has a threat to her life. Of course, that is incorrect. Every single law allows an exception. If a woman needs to be separated from her unborn child, the doctor can do that. I've never done an elective abortion, but there have been times when I, in order to protect a woman's life, I've needed to deliver her baby. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I've never had to dismember that baby. I've never had to intentionally kill that baby. I can induce labor. She can hold the baby. If he's too young to live, she can hold him and say goodbye. Um, But that's not an abortion. An abortion is defined legally as having the intent of ending that baby's life. That's Mm. the whole purpose of an abortion. I'm with Dr. Ingrid Skop, and I'll be back with her in a moment. This is all so important. I'll call somebody that uh, may be facing this. If you know somebody who's considering this uh, pill, this uh, abortion pill, as it is being called, uh, and and let them listen to Dr. Skop on this other side of the break. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? 
Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study an evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. On the line with me and discussing a most important issue that's going on in our country today, Dr. Ingrid Skop. She is an obstetrician. She's a medical doctor. Uh, she's the vice president and director of medical affairs at the Sh- Charlotte Lozier Institute. And we've been discussing these issues that are so important. If you've just tuned in, and I think it's worth going back and talking about the fact that there is all of this direction the country has been in, it's being pushed. Uh, Abortions are becoming much more commonplace in isolation, not even in a place where there is any form of a medical doctor present at all. It's often, like you said in the first segment, in the bathroom of the patient's home. And in that very bathroom, many women go through what was portrayed in the movie Unplanned. And that's exactly what happened to that young lady uh, who was uh, depicted in that movie, which was a real life, Abby Johnson. That really happened to her. I had a chance to interview Abby and talk with her firsthand about that. And it's just happening over and over. And our country is pushing it. And it, it's shocking. I know it, it just goes against the senses of any, I think, rational human being that there are organizations like Planned Parenthood who are in the name of women's health are pushing this upon the American people right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, uh, you know, we see that there are many advantages for the abortion industry. Um, of course, it's very lucrative. All they have to do is hand a pill to a woman. She deals with with all the devastating repercussions that you described, um, uh, these women are very traumatized. And sometimes you can see websites where they talk about it and they just, oh, it's, it's heartbreaking the ordeal they go through. But uh, for the abortion industry, they don't have to pay a surgeon to do surgery. They're promoting these to women as being safer than Tylenol, as being natural, Um, as having an abortion in the comfort of their own home. Well, of course, there's nothing comfortable about this process where their bathroom is surrounded in blood, and sometimes they see their child. Um, But the reality is, even though, unfortunately, many doctors do identify as pro-choice, they don't want to kill either. And so they have a hard time finding surgeons who are willing to do surgical abortions. That's part of the reason that they are promoting these chemical abortions. The other reason I think we've seen in the wake of the Dobbs decision, as states have begun to put laws in place to protect unborn life, this is a way that the abortion advocacy is getting around our laws. I'm in Texas. Of course, we've had 
great laws in place for a year and a half, but I'm still caring for women who are being hurt by these pills because they're still getting them into the state, giving them to women without any informed consent, without any doctor involved, without anyone to go to when they have a complication. Um, So they show up to the emergency room in distress. The accountability that is necessary to get any drug approved by the FDA, uh, I guess my question to you, how in the world do you think they got this pill, this drug, uh, approved? How did they push that through, as difficult as it is to get other drugs that have much less uh, impact um, negatively on the human body? How did they get this approved in the beginning? It's amazing to me that there weren't people on the ground objecting to this politicization of um, this drug approval process, but it happened. It is well documented. Um, And I think it's, you know, I think we saw during COVID too that there's an ideology that the leadership um, says this is how it's going to be. And somehow they're able to get the rank and file in line. And it may be because there are so many repercussions to being a whistleblower. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that people recognize that they could lose their job if they stand up against this process. Um, that's why it's important that the courts look at what the FDA did, that the courts hold the um, FDA accountable to do their job. I think that it's clear um, regarding this and some other um, issues, that there needs to be widespread um, accountability and um, within some of these governmental organizations. Uh, but that's, of course, a bigger topic for another day. But but it did happen. It's very well documented. And if people are interested, um, the amicus briefs um, that we wrote through Charlotte Lozier Institute and through Susan B. Anthony are available online, and they can read for themselves the many ways that the FDA broke their rules, the many ways that they looked at very inadequate data. And, you know, in, in, they also changed protocols. They pointed at studies, for example, that used an ultrasound, and then they changed the protocol and took away the ultrasound. So, the, I mean, it was just um, absolutely regulatory malpractice that they just continued to take away safeguards when there was absolutely no evidence to back that removing those safeguards was, was, was a good thing for women. And something you said up front, I think, is also there. And it's, it's affecting even the research that people can do because uh, even Google and other search engines, they're not necessarily trying to uh, get on the right side of all of this issue. And so I, I'm pretty convinced that a lot of evidence ends up getting scrubbed off the Internet and you don't even get to uh, have that appear on a search engine. If you uh, type in and do a search for something, it often doesn't come up. Because, again, all of this is somehow uh, by big tech. It's like they've got all of the major players of uh, research. It, it's all, like you said, it's all somehow brought on board in this program. And it is so frustrating. But I'm grateful for places like the, the Charlotte Closure, uh, Lozier Institute, who's put this one suit out there, and you said that this is still now kind of in the waiting game. Any idea on uh, when these findings may come out by the court? Well, I think they, the Fifth Circuit could rule it any day. Um, but like I said, I think it will be appealed to the Supreme Court. So unfortunately, we may not really have a, a, a solid answer mm-hmm. for a while. Um 
But, you know, regarding just the information, um, uh, the Lozier, it's L-O-Z-I-E-R, institute.org is where we publish all of our research. And um, we, I mean, when you look at the papers we write, I mean, 100, 120 peer-reviewed references. So we're not just throwing out ideologic stuff. Everything that we say, um, you know, people can confirm that that is actually the case. Um, but, of course, what Google does is sends people to the Guttmacher Institute, which is um, uh, was created by the abortion industry to promote their ideology. Um, so it's interesting. I, I think people should look at both sources and look at, you know, look at the references for both of them, but keeping in their mind that there is no mandatory data collection in the United States. In order to get good data, many times you do have to look internationally. Um, you have to look at, um, they call them records linkage, which is where you know every abortion and then you know every medical event that occurs afterwards. Because a big problem is that so many women are lost to follow up in American studies. They've been told it was safer than Tylenol. They have a complication. They don't go back to that abortion provider. They know they've been misled. And many of those women are not detected and those complications are not reported. You know, I know you've treated a lot of these, as you've said. You have delivered, in front of me, I see a document that says you've delivered over 5,000 babies. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. I have the best job ever. I love my job. And that's that's why I do the, the, the work I do about abortion is I see so many women harmed. I mean, we know the baby's harmed, right? But the women, they, they live the rest of their life with regret and guilt and, in many cases, mental health complications. Um, a good quality study out of um, Finland documented that in the year following an abortion, a woman is six times as likely to commit suicide than if she had given birth Unreal. to that child. Oh, my goodness. And so, um, you know, I do the work I do because I love women and I don't want to see them harmed. I agree. And, you know, again, you talked about not only mental health issues, but lingering physical problems can come, including not ever being able to have a baby again. I mean, that is one of the sad but sometimes uh, evident consequences of doing this whole process. It just is not a safe thing, and yet it's going on, and it, and now the current trend for abortions, it's happening through this mail-order way of getting these pills sent to you from uh, intrastate, and all of the laws that uh, seem like there should have been in place to stop it, people are just looking with a blind eye, right? Yeah, unfortunately, it's um, so politicized, uh, but, you know, I I'm optimistic. I think if the American people could see the true evidence, if they could look at both sides of the issue, if they could recognize that in so many situations, it's not in a woman's best interest to have an abortion. I think many people who are naive think, well, you know, the woman's in a rotten situation. This will be a way out of the situation. It doesn't remove her from a rotten situation. It just kills her child. Yeah. You know, and so we just see that these women, they're on a poor trajectory. They continue down that poor trajectory after the abortion. But like you said, many of them never have a child. Many of them um, have physical complications that lead them unable to have a desired baby in the future. And another topic for another day, but it has led men to have an easy way out. Yeah, and so we've right. seen the breakdown of the family. We've seen men who will not marry a woman who's carrying their baby and instead will coerce them into an abortion. And, yeah, I mean, we could go on and on about that. But, the, you know, 
40% of the women who have babies in our country today are single mothers. So these men are not stepping up when they do choose to bring a child to term. And those children are living without the influence of a father on their life. And I think we could, you know, all kind of see where that goes. But so, you know, really nothing that abortion promised to solve has been solved in the last 50 years. So we need to rethink how we treat women and how how we really, really want to care for women and families. One of the things that you've just brought up about the guys, uh, it's a, a known fact that a lot of men they also deal with guilt after the fact, after coercing their girlfriend or their wife to get an abortion, and th- she does. And and there's guilt whether or not it works, uh, maybe without physical complications or not. A lot of men, they have that ongoing mental health challenge of guilt a- afterwards as well, right? Absolutely. There was a recent study that showed that one out of five American men have been the father of an aborted child. That's that they know of. I mean, many of them may not even have been told. But over half of those men wished that they could obtain counseling because of the guilt. So you're right. I mean, it's we're, we're leaving a wake of destroyed people oh, wow. um, in, in the, yeah. in the um, aftermath of abortion. And, um, you know, it's just, we, there's just so much, so much better we can do for, for couples and We talked about the crisis pregnancy centers. Also, a lot of these states that are putting laws into place right now are are committing hundreds of millions of dollars. Texas, $200 million toward alternative to abortion funding. So those people who say we're pro-forced birthers and we don't care about the child, no. These states are are trying to put a broad safety net in place to care for women, to help young families that are struggling. and that's that's the truly caring way to care for people. So um, hopefully the word gets out that that's happening, too, so that people recognize that, you know, we're just we're trying to do better for people. I agree. And the state of Florida can be mentioned in there as well, because the options available that aren't ever told to the woman and that's pregnant and considering an abortion, the options that are available carrying that child, uh, even if they adopt out that child uh, to someone that is, that is such a much better, obviously it's, it's going to be better for everyone, certainly for the child, but the mom as well. And there are states that are, are really leading the way. Florida and Texas are always at the very top of people's mentions when they think of states that are trying to bring about a better outcome. And uh, I always just, uh, I, I, something rattles in my brain every time I think I hear the word women's health. And in the same breath, people say abortions, part of women's health. It just could not be more of a paradox in that statement. It, it's just not, those are non-synchronous terms. And I know you would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they can, they can use these euphemisms all day long, but at some point we have got to get the truth out to people. If you look beyond the curtain, you see that of course abortion is not women's health care. Um, and that's, that's the, the message that I'm trying to get out that we can yeah. care for women so much better than telling them, the only option we have is for you to kill your child. Tell me a little bit about your experience being in Orlando recently for the National Religious Broadcasters. Uh, let us know about that. What happened? Oh, well, that was that was wonderful. I was on a panel with, you mentioned Abby Johnson. She was on the panel. Uh, uh, Eric Metaxas, who's one of my favorite authors, uh, 
uh, Brad Mattis, who runs a great pro-life organization, and uh, yes. Jeannie Mancini, who is um, runs March for Life, that national, um, uh, you know, bringing together a pro-life people for 50 years. So we had a great time. I got to have a lot of opportunities to have interviews, and I am so happy to have the opportunity to speak to the American church about this issue, because, you know, unfortunately, that is something that not enough pastors are willing to talk about. Um, a recent survey said that 44% of, of American Christians thought the Bible was ambiguous about abortion. So it's something the church is not talking enough about. But if we were, I think we could put an end to this. Well, we know that the impact on women when they see an ultrasound, it has a big impact on the decision to go ahead and have that abortion or not. When they see that baby, it does something in a great percentage of the women. I'm not sure I would know the exact percentage, but it's, what, two-thirds of the women who see it? It's, it's at least that much, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it uh, That ultrasound is one of the single most uh, important things to say. To save a baby, um, yes, in crisis pregnancy centers, it's upwards of 80% that will continue to carry their their baby when they see it on ultrasound. Um, because, of course, they're told it's just it's not a baby and it's a mass of cells, and they see the reality. And yeah. that's part of why I love my job so much, because even from a very, very, very early age, you can see signs of life. You can see that heartbeat after three weeks after fertilization. I mean, almost immediately, that that baby shows you that it's alive with that heartbeat. Yeah, I love that. And it's so beautiful. Having witnessed my own children's births, it is, there's just nothing like it. It's the greatest gift that God gives us. And I'm so grateful for people like you that are raising the issue to attention and rightly calling what are truths that we all need to hear. And, you know, uh, that's one thing about truth. It's not going to stop being truth. And you're teaching the truth, Dr. Scott. Thank you for doing that. Give us the address for Charlotte Lozier, if you would. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for this opportunity to talk about it and getting it out in front of your audience. Um, it's L-O-Z-I-E-R Institute dot org. We have several pages dedicated. It's called abortiondrugfacts.com. Um, and so if you want to know more about the chemical abortion, we, you can really do a deep dive. But we, we also have information about so many other things that you need to know and that you need to tell your friends um, so that people really are educated about the reality of abortion in our country. Dr. Ingrid Skop, thank you for being with us. And we'll be back in just a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top-trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Here we are now with segment three, and on the line with me is Jenny Boland. Jenny is representing the Fairway Christian Church in the Villages and a very special event. I was telling Jenny, I don't think I've ever heard of an event quite like this one. It's called Portrait of a Bride, and it's, again, a very unique uh, a bunch of events that are going to happen now at this, uh, this coming meeting. Jenny, welcome to my program. Thanks, Mike. 
you know, this uh, event, Portrait of a Bride. Now, when I think of that, I'm thinking, okay, is this a photographic event? Is this a bridal shower? Is is it a, a party for maybe interested young ladies that are wanting to be a bride? And none of those things really kind of uh, explain uh, or, or they describe, I should say, what is actually going to happen. So give us the history and how this event came about. Well, I went to see Leanne Brown, who over 400 wedding gowns, and she had the history of the women that wore those. And I'm thinking while I'm sitting there, oh, wow, I can see the Bride of Christ here, that we are the Bride of Christ, the church. So uh, at an intermission uh, at this event I was at, I went and asked her, I said, do you ever do churches? And she says, well, yes, she's the minister's wife. And uh, I said, I can see the Bride of Christ, and she got excited and says, oh, I'd love to do the Bride of Christ. So what we're doing, the first segment will be uh, she will present the wedding gowns. The uh, oldest one is 1859. That lady couldn't vote. So so that I get this straight, it sounds like prior to your event, she's really— um, you're kind of helped shape this kind of event, right? With this idea of bringing all of these gowns. Is she uh, just a collector? Oh, she won't bring all 400. She'll bring about 20. Yeah. But I mean, is she, was and she just a collector of wedding gowns before? Yes. Yes. And she'll, she kind of gives the history of how that got started and uh, with her. And um, she has the, uh, we get the, our oldest one she'll bring is 1859 to present day. And she tells the history of women in those gowns over the years. I our, am sure that's fascinating. Evolution. When you think about an 1859 gown, just since we don't have video here and we can't see, what are some of the differences that you would describe between that gown of 1859 and what ladies wear today? Well, that gown was was not white. It was uh, a blue-green. Um, that gown had uh, nine layers of underwear underneath it, including a corset, uh, which made the bride's waist uh, way smaller than what it naturally would be. Oh, and um, so then we've got uh, the 20s, where you've got the flapper dress that just straight box yeah. uh, because the ladies got rid of the corsets. Yeah, I you know, when I think about those, I, I know very little about them, but that sounds like it would just be difficult to even speak your wedding vows to your husband when you're suffocating because you can hardly breathe, right? Exactly. And uh, the uh, structure of that uh, corset that she had on had metal staves in it that were uh, maybe 12 inches long and an inch <laughs> wide, and they were metal. Oh, man, that sounds torturous. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Yeah. yeah, so things have changed a lot, and and they had changed even, like you said, by the 20s. Right, and then also the, you think about women changing with World War One and World War Two, and, you know, that bride in 59 couldn't even be educated because she couldn't be smarter than her husband. Mm-hmm. And wow. what's interesting on that is when we go back to our Lord, He's always put women where they should be. He's always honored us and give us a, a place with him. Wow. You know, that is quite a, an application and, and a great metaphor for this event. Now, the event itself is going to be on a Thursday, and it doesn't cost anything, but you have to have a ticket, right? 
Yeah, well, you either have to have a ticket or call the church, and we'll put your name um, on a list, and we will, because some people have problems with uh, with doing computer things. So you can either go to uh, uh, LifeBright uh, or Eventbrite, or you can just call the church, which right now would probably be the easiest way to do it, and we will take your name and... and uh, we it will be a free event. We will take a free will offering uh, only because we're having box lunches from chicken salad chicks, and everybody loves chicken salad chicks. So, so even the lunch um, is free, right? Yes, yes. That's not every day that that happens, friends. So you can go to a very interesting free event, get lunch all taken care of by the church and by those, and then there is going to be a, a free will offering And the event is to be held on Thursday, June the 15th, coming right up, not terribly long from now at all, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. I want to give the number a couple of times. We'll give it now and then again at the end of the segment, 352-259-9305. That's the number to call. That's Fairway Christian Church in the villages. Now, I, this this young lady, Leanne, is going to be bringing in these gowns, like you said, about 20 of them. And she has mm-hmm. the backstory on each particular gown. Did I hear that yeah. right? Yes, you did. Wow, that is going to be but, cool. But I have another, after that, that's uh, just till we go to lunch. And then when we come back, She's going to tell about the Jewish Hebrew wedding, all the symbolisms of the wedding of the Hebrew wedding, um, which will be amazing because there's things I had no idea that was symbolized in this in the Jewish wedding. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to invite everyone to a wedding reception with wedding cake and punch. Um, and then when we come back from that, we're going to present what the Bible tells us about the groom, the bridegroom, and the bride, and uh, God's story about the wedding in the beginning of Genesis to the end of of, uh, Revelation. Well, this sounds like well thought through. Again, the event is Portrait of a Bride, and on the line with me... Slash. The Bride of Christ. Christ. Right. (laughs) Can't leave that out. Got to get that part in. Portrait of a Bride, the Bride of Christ. Jenny Bolin is who I'm talking with. And as I as we were, were talking before we began this interview, this this idea came as you were like uh, going and seeing some of this uh, these bride uh, bridal outfits, the bridal dresses at a different event, right? And you kind of caught in right. with a conversation with uh, with the lady Leanne, right? Yes, Leanne Brown. Yes. And that, and, I understand, uh, is in Tampa. She, uh, Leanne lives in Tampa, and um, she does a marvelous job. Uh, she also teaches theatrics in one of the colleges in Tampa. And don't ask me which one, because I don't know. We've talked several times, but we just talk. So, mm-hmm. uh, But she does a very good job. But, you know, when I went to see her, it was a fundraiser for, like I said, for the uh, – uh, shoe boxes for Christmas, uh, Christmas time for the military, yeah. and I paid forty dollars to go see her. Wow! Now you're talking about uh, would that be the, uh, the Samaritan's Purse, the Christmas Child? Is no. that yeah? No, the the villages has all sorts of clubs, and one of them is the sh- uh, the shoebox club. And what they do is just do thousands of boxes and and mail them out at Christmas time oh, to the great. military. Yeah, that's awesome. 
And there are so many things going on always at the villages. It, it is such an exciting area. I know my friend Buddy Shelton lives not far from there. He's a, a former pro golfer. And uh, he's, uh, if he's listening today, howdy, howdy, buddy. And I know that this is something that, that uh, every lady, I believe, in the area could really have a, a good day and a lot of fun with. It's called Portrait of a Bride, the Bride of Christ. Tell me a little bit about uh, the, the church and your involvement there at Fairway. Well, I uh, am on the women's ministry team, and uh, we have... Uh, Lady Bible studies that uh, we have, we, we do a break through the summer for the Bible studies, but we have Bible studies all year except summer. And then we get together in our homes and do them then. Um, we, uh, our church has a lot of outreaches. Uh, before COVID, we actually had 75 different outreach ministries going on. Wow. Um, we still have a lot of them going. A few of them through COVID didn't make it, but uh our church is a family. It's what we should be. It's it's a Christ family. And uh, we're learning how to be disciples, to do the job that God created us to be, to be, uh, he says, to go out and make disciples, and baptize them. Yep. It's something uh, that I don't hear from every church member in this day. I mean, that is so great that not only do you have a conviction, the church is obviously doing its role in kind of presenting that to its members. So that's commendable. It's Fairway Christian Church in the Villages. What is the address for that, by the way? 8400 East 460, County Road 466. It's right at Morris and 466. Now, do you see this kind of a thing being um, a, a year, annual or yearly type of a thing for the women's ministry to do this kind of outreach? I see this that uh, it could be done more. Um, I would like to see other churches uh, get involved. Uh, I would be more than happy to help them uh, get it going. Uh, this is our first year to try it. Uh, we try all sorts of things, though. Our ladies' ministry is just um, uh, busy, busy, because, you know, being part of God's family is getting to know each other. I, I tell my ladies in Bible study, you might as well get to know the gal sitting next to you because you're going to be with her for eternity. So you might <laughs> as well get right. to know her now before you get home. <laughs> That's right. You better learn to like each other because uh, we're going to be together a long, long, long time. time. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I really love what you were saying to me uh, prior to the interview of even how when you visited the church, you kind of had a sense of being at home. And I think that is a beautiful expression. Yeah, well, and that's what we should be as a church. We are God's children. Just as We're not home yet. We're on our way and getting ready to get there. I agree. Well, this event, again, here are the details. Thursday, June the 15th, and it will start at 10 a.m. and will last till 3, includes lunch, and a, a wedding reception, and kind of a little story from Leanne Brown, who's going to be sharing all about the symbolism and the culture behind a Jewish-Hebrew wedding. That's going to be very interesting all by itself. And then again, you get to see these uh, uh, wedding dresses that will be dating as far back as 1859, and the stories of the ladies that wore them, right? Right. Well, I sure thank you, Jenny, for talking with us today. We wish you and this event and all the fine people down at Fairway. Uh, I say hello to all of them for us. 
uh, just a great day on June the 15th. And again, if it's a free event, friends, you don't have to pay for this, but uh, they need to know the phone number. I'll give this to you again, 352-259-9305. And I really appreciate it. Jenny Boland, thank you for being with me. Michael, thank you for having me. And that's about all the time we have, friends, for today. We'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. (laughs) 